Hello there. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, how's the weather down there? <laughs> Awful as usual. <laughs> well, Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> well, I've got to tell you, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good up here. Uh, we, we thought the dry season had ended yesterday and then it came back with a vengeance today. Oh, nice. Well, we, we might have pushed up some of the Arctic air uh, up your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> that sound that you just heard is our, uh, our, our special guest uh, this week on the Boundless Possible podcast. Um, his name is Tony Burns. So, Tony, please meet Peter. G'day, Peter. G'day, Tony. How are you? Welcome. Yeah, good, thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, good. It's, uh, we, we've um, been looking forward to having you on, no doubt about that. Yeah, excellent. I think Tony's been looking forward to it too. <laughs> I have. It's been uh, keeping track of what you guys have been doing. It's uh, congrats on on everything you're doing. It's uh, a great platform and uh, you know a great message to get out there and uh, inspire the community on a bigger way. So it's uh, yeah, it's uh, well done to you guys. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's been a look. We've only we're only twenty odd episodes in, but we've had a really good mix of people so far, and it's it's just fascinating to hear all the different stories of people and how they came to be in the NT and what they're doing within the NT. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's taken us on a journey that I don't think uh, either Leon or I thought we were going to go on originally, did we, Leon? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think our first podcast was about how you and I turned up in the uh, NT. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, but, but it, we've had a, an eclectic uh, group of, uh, of guests, uh, including uh, and not limited to Debbie Foster. So, um you know, it's it's great, and and also our, our friend from uh, Los Angeles. So, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, yeah. So it's not just about territory stories. Yeah. What we try to do is, uh, you know, just have great conversations. That's yeah. what it's all about. And on the subject of that, we start <laughs> off by, first of all, thank you for being on our podcast, Tony. No problem. And uh, what's your territory story? Well, Leon, it's um, it's quite a unique one. So I've been in the territory now for twelve years. I um, my background was um, professional tennis, but we'll get there a bit later on, probably. But um, yes, moved up here. I um, was working in um, hotels, and I was working in a hotel in Kununurra, and I fell in love with a or fell in lust to a, with a Air North hostess, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I left the hotel industry, followed her up to the territory. Um, I knew two people at the time, um, didn't have a job. And it's been an amazing journey, you know, to see where I've been able to sort of find myself now and I guess have the impact of, um, you know, the territory and, and be able to uh, make a difference on, you know, you know yourself, Leon, the territory is such a unique part of the world. And if you've, uh, you know, boundless possible, it, true, it is truly, if you've got the right attitude and belief and, you know, you, um, you want to make a difference, you definitely can. So let's rewind right back to the start. Where were you born? Born in Sydney um, in 1977. Um, I was a twin, um, nine weeks premature, um, on a on deathbed. Um, my parents, they didn't know they were having twins, and um, we came out nine weeks premature. Uh, the doctors are, um, are packing up and didn't realise that my brother was coming out, and um, which was pretty uh-huh. full on. Um, we're both on life support. Um, he unfortunately died after 24 hours, passed away. Um, and, um, yeah, and um, I survived, which was uh, a blessing. I always look back at that and think, you know, it was, I had a pretty um, scary sort of start of the world. But um, 
I sort of embraced that and um, just, you know, made, trying to make the best of my life. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so moved up to the Sunshine Coast when I was one year old um, and uh, grew up there on the Sunshine Coast. Um, had an amazing upbringing. Where on the Sunshine Coast? So Coolum Beach. Cool. Right. So right, mm. right yeah. near Noosa. Yeah, right near Noosa. Beautiful yeah. part of the world. Um, you know, great upbringing with, um, at that time, Coolum Beach was a really, really coasty, chilled out sort of place back in the 80s and, you know, early 90s. Um, you know, the milk bars and, you know, they had no no lights and stuff. It was, yeah, I mean, like no um, traffic lights. Um, definitely changed now. But, um yeah, great upbringing. Um, so why did your parents move from Melbourne to Noosa? So my dad had an amazing company. He started um, Four Star Promotions. Um, so you remember back in the, you might remember this, but in the 70s, dad, um, they used to have um, advertising billboards around at shopping centres. Mm-hmm. So my dad started that. He was the first person in Australia to do that. And um, he went really big, probably um, went too big, uh, unfortunately, and um he had Rolls Royces. He had a mansion. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I was on the front page of Sydney Morning Herald. And um, I was through. And uh, yeah, so it was, had a pretty amazing lifestyle. And unfortunately, um, he grew too big um, and um, got in trouble. Um, didn't, Dad's always good with making money, but not putting the right places. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, um, got bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, so my parents moved up to the Sunshine Coast. And um, my dad started up a company called Coloured Sands, so Sandman Bill. So you would have might probably remember in the 80s, Coloured Sands at like Rombo Beach. So he actually started that. And um, Relaxer Sands, that uh, sort of the liquid with the sand where you turn it over and it falls down. Yeah. So my dad started that in, um, in, the, in the 80s. So um, my dad's been always a, an entrepreneur and sort of a, a you know, a big thinker. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty cool, you know. Um, that's, what, that's what brought us to the Sunshine Coast. Um, and then from there, I, um, I played tennis. So my parents always got me into sport. And I decided early on, I was playing soccer and tennis, and I loved running, did a lot of running. And um, when I was trying out for the Queensland State Boys school books team, um, there were 16 players chosen, and I got 17th. And um, the coach for the team chose eight players from his region. So I sort of decided then if I play tennis, if I win the matches, they can't take that away from me. So um I decided at 13 that I wanted to be number one in the world for tennis. Um, I got a scholarship to um, Nudgee College in Brisbane. And uh, year 11 and 12, um, I was ranked number, uh, made the Australian schoolboys team and um, ranked number top three in Australia. Is that right? Yeah. My goodness. Um, and then um, after I finished college, oh, sorry, after I finished year 12, I, I had a choice to either I got a scholarship to America um, or I could go professional. My parents, when I grew up, I was really, um, I used to watch Rocky Three and, you know, believe in yourself and, you know, shoot for the stars. And um, I always believed that if I didn't give a 100% shot, I would regret it. Mm. So uh, my parents weren't very well off, you know. They um, would come from, you know, humble beginnings, especially after what they went through. Um, And so my parents gave me, they gave me a choice to either go to um, America or um, they'd give me two years equivalent of my college degree and then I'd be on my own. So um, I decided to uh, forthgo my college degree and, and, and go on the circuit. So for 12 months, I, I, um, I went off and embarked and saved up and trained and then um, played on the circuit for um, three and a half years and got to top 700 in the world and um, 
beat Pat Cash and Pete, that's my claim to fame. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. You beat wow. Pat Cash. That is amazing. So on the um, 27th and 2nd, uh, 1990, uh, 1999, I, uh, 97, sorry, 27th and 2nd, 97, I um, played Pat at um, Coolum High, High in Coolum. And how it happened was my coach said, you've got to get over here. Pat needs someone to hit. So I came across, I was three love up and I lost 6-3. I went home, I cried. I thought that's my big chance. I was about to go back overseas. I thought, you know, there's an opportunity now, let it go. Um, I got a phone call back up saying, hey, Pat wants to play again. So I came across on the Saturday. Um, my dad had a little, you know, walkie um, movie cameras and um, I beat him 6-4. He, um, in true Pat fashion, he smashed his racket. <laughs> I was like, oh, Pat, can I have your racket? And... Um, can I have a headband as well? And, uh, yeah, so I got his headband, his racket, and um, two weeks later he um, officially retired in the Sydney Morning Herald. So, uh, wow. So, wow. so you beat him after. He, he won Wimbledon. He won Wimbledon, yeah. yeah so right. Wimbledon yeah, champion. So that was a pretty cool thing for me, you know, um, a funny story. So um, I got his number and I was going across to England. And um, I'm staying in backpackers and that because I don't have a lot of money. And um, so the tournament for Wimbledon, which is um, Queen's, that's where Pat yep. lives around there. Mm -hmm. And so um, I got to go to Queens and I'm at reception saying, oh, I'm here to play Pat Cash. And they got security on me because I thought I was just some guy trying to get in. <laughs> some <laughs> random. Yeah. But um, anyway, Pat came around the corner and saved me and um, got to have another hit with him. But um, yeah, look, it was a cool story. You know, I, I guess it's one of those opportunities in life that you, you get that opportunity and you embrace it and you try and make the most of it. And uh, I guess... Um, you know, it's pretty cool to say that I put Pat Cash into retirement. <laughs> so, yeah. was there, were there any other players that you played? That you, yeah, yeah. So I um, played against uh, Andre Agassi. Oh, my God. Um, Thomas Mostar. Yeah. Um, I was really good friends with Pat Rafter. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, my coach actually coached him in his junior days. Um, so Pat Rafter played, who did he play? The other Australian in the US Open. Yeah, Mark Philippoussis. Mark Philippoussis. <laughs> Do you remember that game, uh, Pete? Mate, I do. Yeah, I was a big Pat Rafter fan, and um, without uh, name dropping, uh, it's funny because um, uh, you know my kids have never heard of any of these players. But um, Pat Cash's grandfather and my great grandfather were actually brothers, and yeah. um, it's a it's one of those things that it's it seems really close, but as you go through the generations, it's actually like I think we're second cousins once removed or third. Cousins. <laughs> wow. Awesome. People weren't that impressed by it at school because it was too far away. But it's actually, it if you go up like that, it's actually quite close. Right. <laughs> I do remember that that Pat Rafter final against Philippoussis, and I look at, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it, Tony. Um, I look at this young brigade coming through now, and they just remind me so much of Philippoussis. Yeah, they got the game, they got all the talent, they just don't have the ticker for it. That's exactly right. Like I, when I played tennis, I was never the most talented player, but I, what I did um, have was just grit, determination, yeah. and you know I wasn't really tall. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a built like Philippoussis or that, but um, I was just Thomas Muster was one of my fans. So, you know, Michael Chang, you know, out there on the court, just grinding and just you know never giving up. Um, but you're right, Pete. Like, um, you know, Tomic, uh, Kyrgios, you know, they've got all the talents yeah. in the world, um, especially Kyrgios, you know, and unfortunately, 
you know, they've been given too much money at, at early on. They don't have yes. the, they don't be, they don't give that, weren't given the way of, um, to grind for it. You know, yep. Paddy Rafter, you know, his story, he grinded through, people didn't believe in him. And, you know, I think um, some of that passion and drive has really been gone. Um, mm. You know, um, Alex Dinamir, who's coming up, is a young, you know, he's, he's doing pretty well. He's got a bit of grit, like, you know, late. He does. Yeah, he um, does. So it's good to see that there are a few guys out there that have still got it. But, yeah, look, people even say, you know, Kyrgios on his day, he's the most talented tennis player um, we've got at the moment, probably besides Federer. He's um, sublime. He, he does things on a tennis court that just shouldn't be able to be done. But it's incredible. You it, just tell he's not even that impressed by it. Oh, exactly. And it's it's funny, like, you know, he's probably one of the most recognisable people in the world. Um Probably not all for his tennis talents, um, yeah. but it's it's a it's a funny one. I think um, hopefully, I remember back when uh, Hewitt was sort of in his young twenties and used yeah. to be doing the come on and all that, and people the media yeah. went right against him. But he yep. turned he turned that around, um, didn't he? I think yeah. in the second part of his career. So I'm hopeful that Kyrgios can, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago he won Washington, you know, and he um, yeah, yeah. has a great wins, you know, and then the next week he lost first round. So Hopefully he can get his head straight and um, you know get it get it right. But um, you know only time will tell. Yeah, yeah. And sports largely played between the ears. I mean, you got to have the physical talent. But you know, I, I watch a lot of football at all different codes yep. around the world, and yeah, largely a lot of those footballers have got the same level of talent. But some of them just got the smarts, and some of them don't have you know yeah. the same sort of smarts and. It's uh, it's, oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's it's such a fine line. I I remember when I was playing Paddy Rafter, you know, and from the outside of people looking in, if you didn't know who Pat Rafter was, I was hitting the ball just as good as Pat, you know. Mm. Um, but obviously he's um, you know, had a few million behind him and his rankings and all that. So <laughs> it's a, yeah. a difference in that way. But but um, it's it's right, Pete. It's 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 like in anything in life. I think in business, in yep. success, in and anything you do, um, the difference between a fine line of someone that's really successful to someone who's just mediocre, um, yeah. it's it's not a lot of it's not not to do a lot to do with inches. It's a game of inches. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, and, and focus too, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you 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 look at these young bucks like Curios and Tomic as two good examples. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that to me, and I'm I'm by no means uh, in the inner sanctum, but. To me, and you hit the nail on the head. They look distracted. They've got too much money. Yeah. They've got too many things being thrown at them, and yeah, there's there's been no struggle. Well, they're so, um, they're, they're so talented, Pete. You know, yeah. they are like Tomic since a junior has has been one of the most talented juniors. You can see him on the court. You know, it looks like he doesn't care. You know, curious. Yeah. It looks like they don't care, and to some extent, yeah. they're very honest in their approach that they they don't care. You know, yeah, um, yeah. And and then you get people. You know like myself, who would give anything to have been able to compete at that level. You know, um, yep. when I decided to give it up, which it took me, I played tennis every day since I was 13, pretty much. Mm. So I gave up when I was 22. Um, it took me six months to come to terms to that when I actually decided to let go of that because I, I set yep. my ranking and I said, if I get to a point, I can keep going. If not, that's it. Because my parents didn't want me to be a tennis bum. Um, yep. But I didn't pick a racket up for five years. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Do you, you know when when you get to that sort of level, um, it it's 
a different ball game, pardon the pun. But can you play socially now? Look, I, I, I now and then it's it's a hard one, Pete, because I played so long, and you know, it, it, there's always that inkling in the back of your mind of what if, and if you stayed on for a bit longer and all that. But I'm proud of what I achieved. You know, um, I could have actually got some great coaching jobs around the world and, and coached, you know, in great sort of centres and that, but. My dream was to be a professional tennis player. You know, that didn't happen, but I traveled to 27 countries and had an amazing life, you know, and then I moved on to um, another journey, which has been a, an incredible journey as well. So I'm proud of that. I play from time to time. You know, I try to play my wife, but she thinks it's baseball. And <laughs> I, try, you know, I try and teach her. And she, she doesn't like my coaching. So um, I, uh, sometimes, Pete, I, some people say, oh, I just, Let's go and have a play tennis. And I say, oh, I don't know how to play. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, make it yeah, play. Too, so. play the fifth. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, right. So 22, you hung up the boots. Yeah. And then what did you do? So living in the Lullabar at the time, on the sunny coast. Yeah. Um, a bit south of Noosa. Yeah. yeah. Um, another part of the world, which is beautiful, you know. Um, and I was really in a crossroads. I, I just didn't know what I was going to do. I... Um, I was working at a coffee club. So my mum always said, you know, um, you know, you're good with people, you know, hospitality. It's a great location right there on the beach. So there was a, a famous, um, I don't know if you've been in Louisville, but I'm sure you have. Yes. So yeah. up below, you know, or Jello's Pizza Restaurant? No, I've only been there once. Okay. <laughs> right. So there's a famous, if you ever go to Louisville, go to the or Jello's Pizza Restaurant. Right. So there's a famous restaurant up the top and then below there's a coffee club. So yes. I'm a hard worker after, you know, playing tennis. So I worked from... Uh, morning shift at coffee club and then at five o'clock I'd go upstairs and work at the pizza restaurant. Right. So I did that for six months. I was living with mum and dad at the time and I was in a bit of a crossroads. I didn't want to be working in, you know, um, coffee club my whole life. Mm. I had bigger plans than that. And um, one night I, um, my mum asked to get me some Chinese. So I'm driving home. I've got $10 in my, in my pocket. And the Chinese cost nine bucks, and um, I had a dollar to my name. And then at the back there was a little chalkboard that said "Fortune Cookies one dollar." I'm like, "Give me a bag of those." So um, <laughs> here I am cracking these fortune cookies, and the first one was like, "Treat people that you want to be treated." I'm like, "Okay, I know that one, so I'll get another one." And um, yeah, so the third fortune cookie was, "You'll make a change for the better." So I'm like, that's a good one. <laughs> so um, Cryptic, but good. Yeah. So um, the next day um, in the local Sunshine Coast Daily Paper, there was a, a role for um, Twin Waters Resort. And um, I thought, wow, you know, that would be pretty cool. And working in, it was the world's largest hotel group. I thought Twin Waters, Sunshine Coast, it's a great environment. You know, people are on a holiday. So, you, you know, you can, most time people are in a good mood. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a great opportunity. So um, I went for the interview um, and they gave me two options. I could work in the, the five-star golf um, restaurant, which doesn't have a lot of people in it, but it's really high class. Or you can work in the big food court, which, um, you know, which is the buffet restaurant and where all the action happens. So I thought, you know, I'll go where the action is. Because, um, you know, being around people is something that I've always been, I enjoy. And um, look, it was a great, a great experience, you know, um, Started off just working casually. I did heaps of hours each week and built a really good rapport with the staff. Um, my general manager at the time was uh, Paul Stevens. He was a great leader. And he was probably one of the first people in my business life that really impacted me on how I wanted to lead and, and inspire um, when I had that opportunity down the track. So, um, 
they had a hotel traineeship that they put on every two years. So I applied for that and was successful. And um, so for two and a half years, I did a hotel traineeship. So that goes in through all different departments, um, sort of middle management that gives you a good opportunity to, to understand the whole aspects of the hotels and, and the management of how to run a hotel. And then two things happened. One, I got a call from a mate who said, I want you to come across to South Korea and, and coach for six weeks, um, <laughs> which I did that. Um, so it was a good, you know, good money opportunity. They needed to fill this position. And I got offered a massive job at this hotel, which was, it was crazy money. But at the time, I had an interview in Sydney for a national hotel traineeship. So I decided to go back for the interview in Sydney um, because I thought I worked too hard to get to this point. And so the National Hotel Traineeship is an opportunity for people who are future general managers throughout big hotels in Australia um, through a call. Um, went for the interview process and I wasn't successful. And I was gutted. I was like, I've done so well. I was got, you know, and they said to me, look, you've done so well in that hotel, but you haven't gone to other hotels. And I thought I was really pissed off, actually. Um, but look, things happen for a reason. And then the next day, I'm sitting in the little cafeteria at work and in the cafeteria, they've got this wall with all these opportunities around Australia. And I saw the, the HR lady putting one up on the wall and about to take it down and it was in Kununurra. And I'm like, had no idea where Kununurra was. But, I, <laughs> but I looking... so for everyone uh, on the podcast, it's northwest of Western Australia. Yeah, yeah, right? middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, it's the best way to apply for a job too when you have no idea where it is. <laughs> well, that's what I did when I found out where the hell it was, I thought, all right, I'm going to yeah. show these guys that, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to go wherever it is to prove I can do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it just packed up and um, moved out to Kununurra. Um, did 18 months out there. Did some extra studies. Um, great experience. Um, had some tough times out there too. It was, you know, it was a different world out there. Um, but, if yeah. any, but if anything, it, it's, it's guided me to where I am now in the Northern Territory. Um, um, I'm a big, big believer that everything plays a part with where you are, um, and um, that's been a huge, um, a huge thing. So you went from Kananara, and you you followed your girlfriend to Darwin. Yep. And then what happened? So a couple of things I've got to mention. Two things that have impacted my life massively. One, when I was playing tennis, I watched a movie called Rudy, R U D Y. It's called Heart of a Hero. So it's based on this college football player in America. Um, I was so inspired by this movie. I watched it on the 17th of 7th, 95. Um, I said to my parents, I'm going to meet this guy one day. And three and a half years later, I tracked him down. I had lunch with him in Las Vegas. Um, I've got to tell wow. this part of the story because it, it, it makes sense. So you can imagine watching this movie. I was so inspired by it and um, telling everyone about it. This is an old VHS. Mm. So... Um, Fast forward three years, I'm in Germany. Um, I've been playing six months on the tour. I'm living off a credit card. I'm losing, 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 spending money. And you can imagine going to these tournaments, the winner of the tournament makes $1,000. There's 128 people in the tournament. You've got to pay for accommodation. You've got to pay for food. So this is on the satellite circuit. So it's pretty, it's pretty mm. tough. Mm. It, it's very tough, actually. Yeah. It's nothing to do with, you know, the one percent that make it, um, yeah, yeah. they make it. Um, the ninety nine percent, it's it's a tough road. 
It's a true grind. It is. But that's helped me to where I am today, Pete and Leon. You know, of course, it's, of course. It's made me stronger. Um, so I'm in, at, at German Munich Airport crying to my mum on the phone saying, that's it, I'm coming home. And mum said to me, look, Tony, you've never quit in your life. And I had one of those round-the-world tickets. So I thought I'd, I was about to go to America. So I flew to America. I thought I'd finish off the tournaments there and then come home because I've been travelling for six months and it was pretty tough. Mm. Um, at that time, um, my brother played basketball. And, oh, um, so you have a brother? Yeah. Well. Right. So, so you... a couple of years later, um, my mum had a, a daughter, Nicole. She died at birth as well. Oh, dear. So that was really tough. But then Keith came along. Um, he's four years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's, um, he's a great brother. I'm really proud of him. Um, so, yeah, he was playing basketball. So I thought... I'll go to, I was flying in Chicago and I thought, well, Michael Jordan's restaurant, I'll, I'll go to his restaurant, get him a, a towel and stuff and, you know, bring it back home. So you picture, remember one of the Rudy story? Yep. <laughs> so I'm in America three years later and I had no idea how big Rudy was, all right? So I'm playing, I'm at this little Chicago O'Hara airport mm-hmm. And I met this guy who was from Germany. And he said, do you want to come down and say, play some basketball on this local course? So I'm playing down there and I go to the toilet. Now, just picture this, all right? <laughs> I'm coming out of the toilet. The fourth person I've met in America comes out of the other toilet, which is the girls' toilets. And she had a Notre Dame jacket on, which is based on the movie Rudy. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, my God, have you seen- I love your jacket. I said, have you seen a movie called Rudy? Now, back then, this is before Google and Facebook and everything, you know, and I had no idea how big the movie was. And she goes to me, well, funny you say that, but Rudy Rudica's brother is my teacher at my school. And I'm like, you're kidding me. So I run back to the hotel. I make all these phone calls. And I've got to put context to the, the, uh, the talk here. I was so obsessed by this movie. I taped it onto a Walkman. And you used to listen to it, okay? Um, That's I've obsession, yeah. About 430 times already, so, and counting. So, obsessed maybe a little bit, but very passionate. Um, mm-hmm. In saying that, um, Tim Rudiger calls me up and says, oh, it's a pity you're not too close by. I said, look, wherever you are, I'll be there. So, um, I ran out 11 miles to the high school, um, spoke to Rudy on the phone. He lived in Las Vegas. Um, and it was really cool because I went to my um, next tournament. And you remember I told, all my, I told you about all my mates that I'd say I'll meet Rudy one day? Yeah. So here, yeah. here are my Aussie mates at this tennis tournament in Oklahoma. And over the speakerphone, it said, Tony Burns, you've got this package here from Rudy Rudica. <laughs> it was just, you could not, have, could not have planned it better. But um, <laughs> in saying that, I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't happy just to get that. So he signed a book yeah. flag. Um, I knew he lived in Las Vegas. So a year later, I went back. Um, I went to Notre Dame. I snuck onto the field. I snuck into the locker room. I stole grass from the field. <laughs> and, um, when I was in the actual locker room, the actual Notre Dame team came in. Um, the quarterback was so inspired by my story, he gave me his jersey. <laughs> um, wow. And then um, I rang Rudy. Who knew a burglar would be rewarded? Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, I definitely made more money from him for the movies. Um, and um, I booked a ticket to Vegas. I knew he was there somewhere and um, spoke to him and then, yeah, went out and um, had lunch in Las Vegas with him. So um, it, was wow. a pretty, it was a pretty cool thing. So that was, that was one big moment in my life that's impacted me. And the second one was John McClain. Now, you might remember this, guys. Um, 
John McClane. Die Hard? Yeah, with not the Die Hard one, no. <laughs> um, he gets that sometimes. <laughs> so John was the first guy to do the Hawaiian Eye Man in a wheelchair. Ah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm flying back on Qantas flight and I saw a documentary on him. And I was so inspired by John. I thought, okay, I met Rudy. This would be a pretty cool, cool guy to meet as well. And um, a few years later, I was obviously living on the coast and I met John. And at the time, John was attempting to be the first person in the world to um, swim across the English Channel. And picture this, all right? So after I did the news triathlon at Hastings Street, I'm at in this, little China, this little pizza restaurant and I saw this guy in a wheelchair and I thought, I think that's John McClain. And you know when you have those two moments in your life where you can either act on that emotion or, yeah. or not? Um, yep. So I went up to him and just introduced him myself. And, you know, John being John, you know, you've only got a few, like anyone, you've only got a few minutes to impact someone's life. Um, yep. So I was literally with him for two minutes, um, told him how, you know, he inspired me. I told him about the movie, movie Rudy. And, yeah. yeah, and it's just funny and fascinating how you can impact someone so quickly but you never know where that impact will come. And, and I'll tell you a bit later on in, in the podcast how it all links in because it's pretty cool. So um, at the time, John attempted to do this and Nike gave him $20,000 for being the first person in the world to swim across the English Channel. Mm. And less than 10% of people that do it achieve it. And he did it with just his arms. So wow. it's pretty, pretty incredible. Um, mm. And then so Nike gave him that um, $20,000. He started the foundation and John said he wanted me to be part of it. And I said, yeah, sure, what do I need to do? And he said, you've got to do an Ironman race. I'm like, okay, um, for sure. So um, in 2004, I did my first Ironman race in Busseldon. So just for everyone that doesn't know what an Ironman race is, it's a, a 3.8K swim, 180K bike ride, and then a marathon all in one go. How long's the marathon? 42.2Ks. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. it's a long time. Um, Anyway, I, um, I did that in um, 2004 and I, I got so inspired because I was raising money for the foundation that we, um, I did four Ironman races in 18 months. It's, it was crazy. But we're what was your money. best time? What's that? What was your best time, Tony? Well, my, I've done five Ironman races. My last yep. race was, um, my best time was 12 hours and 59 minutes. Um, wow. My worst time was uh, 13 hours and um, 52 minutes. Uh, what did Grant oh, Kenny wow. used to do it in? Oh, Grant Kenny, so... so he didn't do the big ones, mate. Yeah, he no, he was, <laughs> I don't know if he's done the line. He's done the... He's done the, the um, he did the cool and down the gold. That's a yeah. bit different. <laughs> but, um, so the Ironman is, is rated probably one of the most extensive uh, endurance events in the world. Like the Hawaiian Ironman is the, the pinnacle of racing. He's done the plot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty cool. And... Um, raised a bit of money for the foundation and then I had a break. So came up and then that's when I moved up to Darwin and did the, did that part. And then when I moved up to Darwin, I wanted to do another Ironman race. And, and Leon, you know about this, about the territory, how unique this place is. And I decided, I said to John, look, I don't want to just raise money for the foundation. I want to choose somebody. And um, at this stage, I built a fairly good relationship with John. And he said, yeah, look, you know, go and find somebody and let's do it. So at the time I was working for Channel 9 and um, literally that day I'm down at Nightcliff with my Lycra gear on about to go for a swim, and I, which wasn't the most attractive. And <laughs> I see this lady on the, on the Nightcliff foreshore pushing this wheelchair. So ironically, just being me, 
got out of my car, parked it, went across to her, introduced myself because I had no idea who I was going to choose. But I just, yeah. I just thought, here's a moment in time that maybe she's there for a, for a reason. Um, yeah. And she, and she was, um, her, um, her story was incredible. Um, Jai, who was a young boy, he, um, he had a, a four-year-old just playing soccer in the background and then that night had a brain tumour and um, basically um, was told he was going to die. Um, the surgery that he had um, saved him, but um, unfortunately the surgery did some deformities and uh, he couldn't walk or couldn't talk. So pretty tough for the family. Mm. Um, the, father yeah. left, the father left because it was just too much. Um, yeah. So I was pretty, you know, I was pretty pretty proud to be able to meet that sort of moment with them so we wanted to raise five thousand dollars we ended up raising 15 and got him a, a brand new wheelchair but pete as you know and leon and i'm not one just to sort of tick the box off and then that's it so i thought that was pretty cool like let's do something even better so i love forrest gump i love pushing the body <laughs> so I, just, I decided you that Christmas started time, running and you kept running and running well, and running this is where this story leads on to it, Pete. So <laughs> I decided to do an ultra marathon race and um, oh. I found a race over in Egypt, um, yeah. which was the Fahara race. And it was a, one of the oldest um, ultra marathon races in the world. So mm. I decided to, um, I found another a girl in Palmerston, Stacey, who um, really needed some help. She had muscular dystrophy and her spine curved. And um, yeah, she couldn't get the doctor's appointments because um, her parents weren't, well enough to get a, uh, the car, big enough car to get her wheelchair in. So a bit of a, a, a pretty hard story. Um, so anyway, we went across to Egypt and um, I trained for 12 months. And um, even down at Parap, just before the race, I did a marathon on a treadmill. So um, wow. I don't recommend that at all. <laughs> but, um, you know, we wanted to raise lots of money. So, and here's a part of the story where you get, you know, little road bumps. So I'm over in Egypt 24 hours before the race to run 100 kilometres and I eat a bad kebab. Um, oh. But, <laughs> bad choice. <laughs> really bad choice. <laughs> and I get the worst um, guardia. Yeah. Uh, um, yep. Yeah. So I'm um, on the toilet for 24 hours. Yep. Um, Literally. Been there. <laughs> um, <laughs> medically, the guys told me I shouldn't race. Yep. but here I am over in Egypt wanting to run, raise money for this young girl. So I ended up mm. racing in the race. Um, and it was the day that Egypt went under attack. Um, so it was pretty full on. So I got pulled off at the 70 K mark after running for 12 hours. Um, but I was proud of that. Got this, you know, 70 K mark. Yeah. I lost 10 kilograms. It was a good way to lose some weight. What the heck? Um, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> um, it was 48 degrees. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty crazy. And he just under attack. And um, But look, it was um, it was a great experience. We came back, but I wasn't finished there, you know. So I came back um, and I thought to myself, my wife at the time, my, well, my fiance at the time said, you know, let's let's make our own 100K race. So um, a year later, I um, on the 27th of the 7th, uh, 2014, I started at um, 4 a.m. at um, Humpty Doo, where the big crocodile is. And I ran for 15 and a half hours and finished at Crocosaurus Cove. But the linkage of John McLean, okay? So uh -huh. at the 99K mark, John met me and he walked unassisted for the first time in 25 years 
wow. out of his wheelchair. Cool. So six months before that, he found out about a guy who had this radical therapy in, in up in um, in um, North Queensland. And um, when John was hit by a six-ton truck, his spine wasn't severed. So he had less than 3% movement in his left leg and right leg was uh, completely paralysed. Um, but just it's just amazing. He had this guy who's just this wild therapy um, and John now can stand up and, 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 and walk. Um, My goodness. Not for massive long periods, yeah. but enough to, to be pretty inspirational. Mm. Um, there's a great 60-minute story on it as well. Um, Is he I was going to say, I yeah. think I've seen him on 60 Minutes. Yeah. You would yeah. have. Um, you know his face. You probably would have. He's, yeah, he's an yeah. amazing motivation speaker. Um, story. It's, yeah. it, it is amazing because, you know, modern medicine can only take you so far, but then there's, like we said earlier, you know, it comes down to mindset sometimes and yep. never being defeated and, there's always someone who gets labelled as a crackpot who's trying some new uh, technique or whatever, and you know those that are willing to follow um, can often get that success. Absolutely, you know, and also the fact of um, he's got a book out called "How Far Can You Go." So um, you know, and I think back, he was my best man, one of my best men at my wedding, you know, and I think back of all the linkages of when I met him at Noosa, and if I didn't take that action to go up and say hello to him. Um, None of this stuff probably would have happened. Um, so it's been a pretty cool journey, you know. Um, to date, I've raised over seven hundred thousand dollars for the foundation. Wow! Um, so wow. it's it's been um, something that I'm very proud of, um, and to be able to impact people, you know, Leon, we've known each other for a long time, and like yourself, you know, you're you're a massive influence to the territory and, and people, and um, the old Zig Ziglar saying, you know, help more people get what they want, and you'll get what you want. Um, and I've always mm. been a big believer in that. So, um, you know, to be able to have that part of my journey, to be part with John's journey as well, and then obviously leading on to helping people achieve. Let's um, talk about that. Yeah. How so, did that come about? Well, yeah. it's another crazy story, Leon. You know, remember I didn't have a job. I moved up here. I started at CDU as a, a guest relations manager. Um, at the time, it was good money and it was – but it wasn't – I wasn't – wasn't inspired. It was, it wasn't inspired, wasn't mm. passionate, wasn't it's too easy. Mm. So then I'd I got, love to know what a guest relations manager does at oh, CDU. It was, it was looking after all, like, the, all the international like food and looking after all their bloody um, you know, volleyball and dance and stuff. It was pretty, uh, it's pretty cruisy. Mm, it just right. didn't challenge me enough, you know. And yeah. so after six months, I um, I got a job with the famous NT News. Oh yeah, did you really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what year was this? That was in 2010. Okay. But who was there after then? I prefer them to be called infamous, thank you, Yeah, Tim. infamous, yeah, true, true. Well, back then it was a, yeah. <laughs> um, who was the other back then? It was um, Matt Cunningham. He was a chief of staff. Um, Julian Julian was um, the editor, I think. But um, but I was actually in advertising, so I was selling advertising. With Cecilia? Yeah. Oh, so, right. So that's was, how you know Cecilia. Yeah. Okay. So she was my boss and I, um, I was there for two, two years um, and I had the South Portfolio. Yeah. So it's all about moments and, and connections. Hang on, stop there. Yeah. South Port. No, South Portfolio. What does that mean? So from my, my portfolio for selling advertising was from Winelli 
right through to Alice Springs. And what's it called? South what? South Port Portfolio. Oh, South Portfolio. Right, because when you said Southport, I thought, my God, there's like three people living out in the South Port. <laughs> <laughs> I love challenges. Huh? <laughs> right, okay. Invent new business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, um, so in, you know, at that time, I, I loved it. Similar to what I was doing with in hotels, you know, yeah you know getting businesses and working on relationships um i enjoy selling so challenging so yeah it was a great time um and in my portfolio was hpa okay so the ceo at the time peter joyce um i met him at a luncheon at a prba luncheon and um he said to me um because i was trying to hand him for advertising finally met him <laughs> and he um yeah he really liked my style and he said um i want you to come work for me so in 2011, I, um, just before the GFC, um, I went across and worked as a sales manager. And unfortunately, GFC hit. And um, after three months of starting, I got made redundant. Well, bad. So yeah. um, it's all those flip stories, of, yeah. you know. Um, but then I got picked up by Channel 9 yeah. um, and worked for Channel 9 for a few years. And then um, some unfortunate news, Peter got really sick. Um, I said, kept in contact with him. He said to me that it was the worst decision he ever did that let me go. Um, but he had to because it was just, you know, a not for profit and you, you can't, you know, you've got you to do what you've got to do. Um, but he got lymphonic cancer. And um, he told me he's going to, um, he said, get the NT news. My role is going to be, I want you to apply for my role. And at the time I was doing really well at Channel 9. Mm. And I was going to move to Brisbane and mm. climb the corporate ladder and all that. And I came home and spoke to my wife and um, she said to me, here's Pete on his deathbed saying you should go for the role. And, and when I thought about it, I thought, this is everything that I've worked for in my life for an opportunity to go to and make an impact on a massive level. Mm. Um, I just had to get the job, mm. you know, the role. So I remember going for the interview, came down with the goosebumps. Um, it came down to two people and... Um, yeah, I um I was successful, obviously, mm. and um, just starting there, and it's been five years, and something that I've been very proud of, Leon. You know, um, I started on the first of the seventh, um, two thousand and fourteen, and um, it's just been an amazing journey. You and know, what happens at HPA? So HPA started back in nineteen sixty three. Um, it was predominantly Harold and Peg Garner. They had a child that had a disability, and um, there was nothing for their son, so they created a company called. Handicapped Persons Association. Um, over the last 55 years, it's gone through the ups and downs of the not-for-profit or I call it the for-purpose world. Um, so it's predominantly employment and giving people a passion and a purpose. Um, when I took over, um, it was called HPA Disability Services, very focused on disability. Um, I don't like the word disability, as you know, with my passion and what I've done with John and all that. So in my first two weeks as CEO, I changed it to helping people achieve. HPA. Yeah. Right. And so that was the brand and it's been really cool. You know, I, we, um, how many people do uh, are, are involved? Is it, are, you, are they employed? How does it work? Yeah. So we've got five enterprises at the moment. So Kokoda Industries is your metalwork, woodwork, fabrication, pallets, crates, furniture. Um, Oz Designs is your screen printing, embroidery, um, industrial rags. Um, we've got exclusive indigenous prints that you can't get anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've got an accommodation arm of the business. 
we've also just launched um, Trash and Treasure, which is an upcycle, recycle business. And we've got um, a day program, which is called PEG, which is Participate, Engage, Grow. So over those five enterprises, um, I employ 133 people. Wow. And, um, and 77 are with a, a physical or intellectual challenge. So um, it's a pretty incredible company. You know, if it wasn't for HPA, 77 people would be home playing PlayStation. Mm. Um, so Because mm. I've been there. Yeah. It's in Palmerston, right? Uh, no, you moved to Winelli. Is that right? So we've got um, – there's a few different locations. So I'll have to show you Kokoda. Yeah. So Kokoda is at Winelli. Yeah. Oz Designs is down at Yarrawonga. Yeah. Um, that's where Peg is as well. Darwin Accommodation. We've got a few um, locations throughout Darwin for accommodation and supported independent living. Yeah. And then Trash and Treasure is the new upcycle, recycle shop at um, Shoal Bay. Okay. So we're doing that partnership with um, the council. Right. Um, and just really helping. Yeah, we, so what do you do there? What, uh, so it's, you know, the old tip shop. No, I haven't been there. Yeah, so well, right. It's an old tip shop. We yeah. turned it into a recycle centre. We've called it Trash and Treasure. Mm. We employ six people with disabilities yeah. plus um, some management staff. And it's all the actual products that we're going to go to landfill. Yeah. So what we've done is we turn it into a shop like the Ikea, we call it, of um, tip shops, and um, we sell products. So, so like what? Oh, it's cool. It's, it's, it's all over. It's, it's, you know, anything from beds or furniture, you know, um, bikes. Um, so do you, to, do you have to do it? Do you have to rehabilitate them or recycle Well, we've got some of it, but some of the stuff, people come in. So instead of just going to the tip and just chucking it out, yeah. people want to make a difference now. Yeah, yeah. So we've played a big part in the last 12 months to – um, partner with council and um, the community to inspire them. Yeah. Um, and it's it's working really, really well. We're about to um, get some new signage out there um, and to divert landfill and help the community and the environment. Yeah. We are really, really proud of that. That's an excellent story. It's brilliant. I've seen that grow over the last four or five years, Tony, and I've, I've really, um, yeah, I've, I've just thought it's such a great idea. I, I didn't realise that that HPA was behind it, but yeah, I just think. Um, Thanks, Pete. Like you say, I mean, we sort of live in this disposable world these days. And um, I had a situation a few years ago where I had to offload a fridge, um, and there was something wrong with it, but it was literally just needed a part changed. And we, we thought, well, rather than throwing it out, let's let's take it down there because you'd much rather have it go to someone who needs it and it's only got a few bucks to spend to buy it then as you say chuck it into landfill which oh. is and, Pete, and, and it's truly incredible like we um we've got some massive plans out there um you know the amount of stuff that comes through that was just going to get put in landfill um you know there's been pianos there's been 1920 bloody record players there's been violaflones there's been it's just it's endless um you know and um and it's true. Someone's trash is someone's treasure. Um, and um, and the other thing for us too, to have an opportunity to have a new revenue stream to not only inspire people, but you know, to be able to diversify to not rely on funding um, is something that I'm proud of as well. Yeah, that's an amazing story. You know, so um, yeah, so that's that's yes. that's um, that's sort of that part of it. And um, we've got some big plans out there, and continue to. And the other thing too is. We're employing six people, and mm. it's it's out in the in the in right in the in in the open arena. Yeah. So part of my passion is if we can actually break that stigma down and and give people living with disabilities more opportunities. Mm. Um, that's something that I'm very proud of, and the whole team we can uh, 
can see that changing. Um, there's still a stigma out there, but if we can continue to break that stigma and make the world a better place for people living with disabilities, then, um, you know, that's, a, that's, our, that's our calling. And, um, you know, we're going to keep striving to make that happen. So I, um, I had cause to go out to your Yarrawonga um, office or shop once to pick up. I think we bought some T-shirts or something. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. And I remember walking in there and it was just the start of the day. And and the um, uh, your your staff was just coming in, yeah. And it was really quite. It was a little bit surreal for me because I was watching all these people, and clearly some of them you can tell that you know there were some disabilities that yeah. they had, but they just carried on like like normal, you know. Yeah. Oh, I've had a I had a bad night, <laughs> and I was listening. I was thinking, wow, this is really. I mean, they must feel, oh, you know, that you've given them a really great opportunity. Leon, you know, the history behind HBA is incredible. And I take, I don't take it for one second lightly, the platform that I have as, yeah. the, as the leader. I, um, I take it very seriously. But hand on heart, I have got the happiest workforce. Yeah, I could tell. Without a doubt. You know, I could tell that. Without a doubt. It's, yeah. There's no facade, mm. you know. Um, and I really appreciate you saying that because it's inspiring to know that we, it's, it's something that's quite unique. Um, and I tell people, if you're having a bad day, you come down to HPA, it will change your, it will change your life. Mm. You know, I've had people come down there and say to me, thank you so much for just giving me the opportunity to now think differently. Yeah. You know? Um, Tony, I was talking to Leon a few weeks ago about this exact thing. And, um, you know, thanks to this new world that we live in, which delivers us information 24 hours a day and the ability to be, show-offs or showboats on all these different platforms all the time. Yeah. Uh, people lose sight of the fact that there's a lot of other things going on in the world. And, you know, I, I sort of unashamedly say that I never realised any of this until I started travelling overseas and then I truly got to learn what it's like to see people who have nothing. Yep. You know, this country gives you a lot more than than many other countries because it's a it's a very lucky place to be and it and it's – seen and perceived as that in the world yeah and um everybody can look at their own plot in life and say poor me and whatever but you know i, I i'm sort of a big believer in you got to open your eyes and have a look at what's out there and think about the fact that no matter how crap your day is going no matter what's happened to you there'll be somebody else not that far away who's in a much worse situation Absolutely. and our world thought a bit more like that then it'd be a better place. Pete, you hit on the head and, you know, um, that's something that I've, when I decided that, or when I got the news that I was going to become CEO, I, I was committed from day one to do whatever I can to impact um, not only the business, but I, I knew I had a to inspire on a bigger level. Um, and you're right, you know, if you can change one person's attitude, which I think we do on a daily basis, then that's, that's paying it forward. That transforms that person's attitude when they talk about someone or they might be down the street and they might see someone in a wheelchair or with a disability and they feel more comfortable to go up and, and talk to them. You know, so I think that, that opportunity, like you said, Leon, you know, when, you, when you see it for the first time and, you, and it's raw and you see how, um, how unique and, and genuine Yes, they are. Yes, um, they can teach us a lot of lessons. It just, 
I felt like I was walking into a normal working environment, yeah. you know, and I really mentally wasn't prepared for that for whatever reason, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I thought, okay, well, this is going to be a bit different here. I need to, uh, you know, well, you know, let's call a spade a spade here. I mean, yeah. I don't deal with disabilities on a day-to-day -day basis. No. So I, you know, it's kind of like, I, how do I, how do I how behave? Do how do I behave? Yeah. And so I, I walk in there, you know, Cautious, thinking, or... thinking, yeah, I've been thinking I've got to, you know, I've got to be be more mindful of what I say and do, yeah. and then, oh my goodness, no, no, I don't. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like I, the funny thing is, they'd be probably saying stuff about you when you walked out. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's truly on. It's it truly is incredible. I tell people, you know, I they inspire me every day. Mm. They truly do, you know, and um. And if anything, what it's done, you know, I, I obviously had um, an understanding of it, but to be able to work in it in a daily basis and to be able to continue to inspire, you know, we have our famous Christmas party that I'll get you involved this year. Um, that's like the Logies for them. But, you know, for, for the... Brilliant. Yeah, but... The, Absolutely brilliant. But for the families to come up to me and, and whisper in my hair, you know, Tony, thank you so much for making James so happy and making them, you know, feel very... Um, you know, having a purpose in their life, you know, mm -hmm. money can't buy that, you know, um, to be able to give families and, and let's spade a spade here too, Leon, all the families out there who live with, you know, family members with disabilities, they're the winners, you know, what they've got to deal with on a daily basis, mm. sometimes for a lifetime mm. is something that is mm. people really don't understand. Yeah. Um, so I feel that um, my obligation as CEO and um, as a leader is if I can actually enhance that enjoyment or respite or inspiration, um, then th that's what we try to do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Pete, have you got any other questions for Tony? I don't have a question, but I've got a statement. I was just thinking about it before. <laughs> um, my son, who has recently started a new school, um, there's a couple of kids in in their school who've who've got some learning issues and different things, and it's become a bit of a running joke in our household because he he doesn't know what disability means, so he doesn't he doesn't associate with the word. And yep. you mentioned before that that you don't you know you don't like the word or you don't use it as a rule. And so the other day or a few months ago, he was talking about one of the kids was you know, not doing the right thing in school and. He said, but it's okay, mum, because he has personalities. So um, we don't use the word disability in our house now. It's everyone's got personalities. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I reckon you could use that in, yeah. in what you do. Well, there's definitely lots of personalities every day at HBA. And, That's um, right. That's, uh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I tell you, one of the things I love about this podcast is I may think I know someone or I've known them for years, but until they come on this podcast and tell us their story, <laughs> you know, I don't really know them. And I have learned a lot about you uh, today and I want to thank you very much for that. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, I've really enjoyed, uh, I was excited to be on here and uh, really appreciate the opportunity. You guys are doing great things and uh, it's been a great experience. You want to sign off, Pete? Yeah, thanks, Tony. It was a great conversation, and um, it's it's certainly. I mean, I'm talking for Leon here when I say this, but 
it it certainly uh, went in a whole stack of areas that, that we didn't see coming in. It was a brilliant conversation. So thank you for coming on. Awesome. Make sure you watch the movie Rudy, okay? Will do. I've, oh, seen, I, it. I've, <laughs> I've seen the cover of it. So oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, watch it. I presume it's on Netflix or Stan or one of those. Yeah, so I'm yeah. going to look at it. Yeah, no, on Netflix and stuff. And yeah, definitely watch it. You'll, uh, you'll love it. Will do. Will do. I don't have a VHS tape player, so <laughs> I won't get it. Effect, but I'll, I'll watch it, the digital version of it. Sounds good. Well, that was Tony Burns, the CEO of HPA on Boundless Possible this week. And we'll catch you again next week. Thanks.